Hello and welcome to the Week 9 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Slavini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Busy, busy show this week with so much going on with the trading deadline, Joe Douglas's midseason press conference. And we'll get to that stuff in a second, but I just want to mention that our guest this week is Steve Levy, the play-by-play voice of ESPN's Monday Night Football Of course, he'll be on the call Monday night. Jets hosting the Patriots. And it's a homecoming for Steve, who grew up up on Long Island, a Jets fan. He's not afraid to admit that. And so um, uh, I think you're going to find that to be an entertaining interview as Steve gets into his Jet fandom and maybe some behind-the-scenes stuff on life at Monday Night Football. So don't miss that interview in the second quarter. For now, I want to deal with the news of the day and uh, as trading deadline, we all know it ended at 4 p.m. on Tuesday. The Jets did not make any last-day trades. On Sunday night, they traded Avery Williams into Pittsburgh. That was the third trade in the last couple of weeks. Of course, Jordan Willis to San Francisco and Steve McClendon to Tampa. And then but prior to that, they not a trade but a release, Le'Veon Bell. So the Jets were clearly in fire sale mode as this season just got away from them pretty quickly. And they're thinking about the future, which is what they should be doing. The present is not good. They have to be thinking future. And I think Joe Douglas did a good job of getting something back for three expiring contracts for players who are not going to be back next year. Players who, even if they were lost as free agents, would not even bring back compensatory picks. However, by trading them now, in a sense, the Jets did get some compensatory picks. They got a five and two sixes in 2022. So, in a sense, let's let's call those the compensatory picks. Now, they had to give up sevens in each case for the 21, 22, and 23 draft. But, you know, big deal. It's only a seventh-round pick. So, good job by Joe Douglas. They also cleared a few million dollars on this year's cap, which is important because they're going to carry over the unused cap room into next year, which should put them at about $100 million under the cap, which should put them in outstanding position to be active in free agency in a year where many teams are going to be struggling because the cap will be lower next year. So the Jets and the Patriots are among the teams that will have the money to spend if they so choose it. Uh, Joe Douglas did his midseason press conference on Tuesday after the deadline passed. He made it clear that uh, their reports out there were erroneous, that they were shopping Chris Herndon and Quinn and Williams. That was not the case at all. In fact, he said they didn't even get phone calls on Chris Herndon, the tight end who is struggling. So I just wanted to clarify that. Really, two storylines came out of Joe's midseason press conference. Uh, you know, the, he threw his support to Adam Gase and Sam Darnold. And I know that Jet fans are going to go apoplectic uh, with this Gase situation. You know, why would he throw his endorsement to Adam Gase, uh, a 7-17 coach who is presiding over easily the worst offense in the league? Look, it was somewhat predictable. I mean, he doesn't want to rip a sitting coach. I do think in this case he went a little too far, though. I mean, this was the quote. He said, quote, The hope is we can fix these problems together and we can be together for a while. I asked Joe point blank, so you're saying that Adam is part of the solution? And he said yes. I could almost see Jet fans just smashing their computer screens in when they heard that. And rightly so. The fan base wants a change. 
there will be a change in spite of what Joe Douglas said. You know, I get the loyalty aspect of it. You know, he got the job in large part because of Adam Gase. So, yeah, there's loyalty. But in the end, Christopher Johnson is going to make this decision. The way the structure is set up with this team, it's the owner's call, not the GM. So at the end of the year, Christopher Johnson will just say we're making a coaching change. And Joe Douglas will go along with it because deep down, Joe Douglas knows that it's the results are unacceptable and there has to be a change. So I, I would have liked to have seen him be a little more in tune with what the fan base was thinking. Uh, I think he just pissed off his fan base by making those comments about Gase. Uh, look, I think he went into the press conference thinking, I'm going to take all the bullets. He might as well have put a blindfold on and, and had a cigarette in his mouth because really that was the approach he took. And I applaud his level of accountability. It's it's one that we haven't seen from a JET official in a long, long time. So kudos for that. And he really just wanted to put it all on his shoulders. So good for that. I do think he went too far with Gase. Now, as for Sam Darnold, said very, very uh, effusive praise of Darnold. Uh, not totally shocked about that. You know, he's going to keep loving Sam until he knows the Jets draft position and which quarterbacks are in the draft. Then he'll decide if he loves somebody else more than Sam. That's what this comes down to. That's what this is all about. There's also some posturing involved. If the Jets get the number one pick, I would expect they would take a quarterback. They're going to want to keep Darnold's trade value as high as possible. So that's why he was also saying those flowery things today. And it's also a good boost of confidence for Sam, who, quite frankly, whose confidence I think is sagging right now, which is understandable the way the offense was performing. So a lot of nice things about Darnold, but that does not preclude them from drafting Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Uh, if, if they're picking one or two, I have to believe the Jets are going to go in that direction and then flip Sam for a draft pick, probably something like a two. So that's where that's coming from. So I wouldn't read too much into that. I don't this, think this means the Jets are not in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes if he is indeed available to them. I think that was just Douglas with some GM speak. But like I said, I think he did go a little far on the Gase thing just in terms of public relations because I don't think that's what the fan base wanted to hear at all. Uh, but overall, I thought he did a good job. It was refreshing to hear him shoulder the blame. I was surprised he came out and admitted that they basically screwed up the Robbie Anderson situation. He said they miscalculated his market value. He says we, we have to fix that going forward. We don't want to let good players leave the building. And, yeah, it's not often that a GM admits publicly that he messed up a situation like that. So, again, good for him. He's admitted that he's made some mistakes along the way. I asked him point blank. I said, when you got the job, you said there's a sense of urgency to win now because you have a quarterback on his rookie contract. How do you square that with what you're doing now, which is basically selling off players for future draft picks? And I was critical of Joe two weeks ago on ESPN.com, and he admitted, you're right. He goes, I haven't done a good enough job of putting weapons around Sam Darnold and giving weapons to our coach. So he's honest. He showed accountability. Now he just has to do his job better. Back after this.
The Jets host the Patriots on Monday night, and that means the ESPN crew will be at MetLife Stadium. And I have to believe that will be a special night for our guest, Steve Levy, the play-by-play man for ESPN's Monday Night Football, a Long Island product who grew up a Jets fan. Welcome to Flight Deck, Steve. Hey, Rich. Uh, thanks for having me on. And, and yes, I, I won't lie. I'm not going to lie to you folks. Uh, I definitely circled the calendar when the schedule came out. It's kind of funny, right? People circle the big games and, you know, hey, the Ravens and Chiefs in week three. And, and yeah, I was circling, you know, week nine, the Jets and Bats for sure. I mean, you've been you've done Jet games before as, as part of the ESPN crew, but now you're coming into this game as the guy. You know, you're the play by play. So I have to imagine that that's got to be pretty special. You know, it'll be cool. Um, and listen, I, you know, I've, I've worked on games where of the team where I've been a fan of before. And, and honestly, this is, this is the truth. When the red light, so to speak, goes on, I kind of forget about it. I get, I get lost in the game, lost in the job, and lost in what my professional duty is to whatever the audience is. And so this will be a little bigger than, you know, audience than things I've done in the past. Um, but yeah, that's, that's not an issue. Um, I think it's an advantage a little bit. I feel like, you know, I know the team better than I know most teams. I know the history better than I know the history of most teams. And just because of, you know, grew up watching them so much. Yeah, you have that institutional knowledge that you can, you can reach back and recall certain things. So I got to ask you, so what's it like being a, a Jet fan these days? So it's, it's tough. And I'm, and I'm really, I'm, I'm at a crossroads here with my kids. I got two young boys, you know, and I've sort of instilled that to them. And, and honestly, I have said to them many times, hey, you know, next year things will be better. And, uh, and really, they get, you know, Jets get off to the start. They get off to, and one of my boys, and he's pretty sharp, they're eight, the twin boys, and he says, Dad, I'm going to give him one more season. <laughs> and, I, you know, I can't really blame him, but I, but I have laid out the sort of carrot, if you will. I'm like, listen, one day they are going to go to the Super Bowl, and I'm only taking Jet fans with me. So if you want to be along for that ride, you might want to think about that mm-hmm. and, um, and just think how sweet it will be. Uh, one day, should they get there? Should they win the Super Bowl? I'd certainly like to see it in my lifetime. Be ideal if I could take my dad and my two boys too, and really enjoy that. Um, you know, but we'll see how that goes. What, so, describe your fandom. Like, what what was your earliest Jet memory? Did you grow up? I mean, we know you grew up on Long Island in Belmore, on the South Shore. You're talking to a fellow Long Islander here, and yeah. like, so what? How far does this go back? Were you running around the streets with Joe Namath jerseys on back in the day? Right. So not that old, thank you, Rich. Uh, but I definitely went to Shea Stadium uh, every year, probably from the age of uh, 10 on, and I'm, and I'm 55, maybe even eight or nine. So, you know, my dad had a buddy who had season tickets, and he'd give us the worst matchup with the coldest weather, and, you know, I would jump at that. And I couldn't wait to go, and it was such a big deal. And I remember, you know, some of the early season games, and you remember them because of the dirt infield, and while the Mets were obviously still playing. And then I do remember freezing in the parking lot and the thermos of hot chocolate in the stands. But, you know, I definitely go back to the Richard Todd, Matt Robinson, quarterback controversy, that whole thing. Um, you know, all, all of those games are fond memories, you know, of being a, a real Jets fan. And, you know, A.J. Dewey in the Orange Bowl and all of that, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, Mark Gastineau uh, in Cleveland, you know, roughing the passer late on Bernie Kosar and, and those kinds of things. So that's, you know, that's, 
those are memories. And, you know, I always tell everybody, and I had it with the Rangers too, right? If you grow up in that area, you know, you, it builds character, so to speak. And eventually the Rangers paid off and, and the Mets paid off in 86. And, uh, you know, still waiting on the Jets. So. Yeah, that's a lot of character that you have stored up. <laughs> yes. You know, that was the same for me. My dad got tickets. My first Jet game was in 1976, I believe. It turned out to be Joe Namath's last game as a Jet. Wow. And had great seats. But I remember they got blown out by Cincinnati. I think it was 41 to 3. And that was, I think it was a harbinger of my life. Who knew that years later I'd be covering the team and they were going through the same stuff as that. But yep. Yep. Life has a way of going full circle. So, yeah. <clears throat> and now you did do some Jets, uh, for those who don't know, when you were with WFA and radio in New York. And that's really how we first met when you were doing some Jet reporting. What do you recall about those days of just kind of breaking into the business, being around a team that you grew up looking up to? So, Rich, actually, that was before even FAN. It goes back a little further. It was really my first gig. It was uh, WNBC Sports Night. It was Dave oh. Sims' show, and Mike Breen was his number two, and I was a distant, and I mean distant number three, mm-hmm. and uh, they would send me to Hofstra every day, you know, and I was living at my folks' house, and uh, not in the basement, I'll point out, but I was living in my parents' house at the time, and I would make Hofstra my, you know, like eight hours, my full day of work, and I, I might have gotten paid 50 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. but, and I would get 60 seconds, it was 90 seconds, on tape every single night on sports night. And by the way, that, that, so that was 66 on the AM dial, which WFA invention became, right? right? But what an unbelievable signal, you know, and I might have been, you know, 21, pretty much fresh out of college. And, uh, you know, my dad had a connection, an internship, and uh, an agent who had who had Dave Sims, now the current voice of the Seattle Mariners. Right. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so that, that's how far I go back with the Jets when they were at Hofstra. They were kind of in our backyard. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, some lean years there too. And I remember just, you know, being totally out of my league and really sticking the microphone in and probably not asking any questions, being afraid, you know, of what the answer might be. And I did get embarrassed at a press conference once. I did... Uh, work up the nerve to ask a question. I can't remember which head coach it was. There were so I many. Think you were around the Bruce Coslett years. Was it yeah. Coslett or Pete Carroll or something? Who like? was before Coslett? How, you know, it was Joe Walton. Did you go back that far? Because that that was '89. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I graduated Oswego in '87. So okay. So it, that could have been '88. You know, so. Yeah. So I asked the question along the lines of, hey, you know, what are you going to try to do this weekend against X opponent? And he took the shot. Like it was – he could – you know, you could answer that anyway, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to talk to uh, – I'm going to talk to Bill Belichick. And if I ask him that same question today, I'd like to think he has enough respect for me as a professional to give me some kind of answer, mm-hmm. okay? But not that day, not when I was a year out of college – he said something like, hey, kid, I'm not going to give you the game plan in front of everybody. And so that was, wah, wah, wah. you know, yeah. I fell off my chair. That was, you know, crushingly embarrassing. And I never forgave him for that. He took a cheap shot. He had an opportunity. He could have done something nice. Could have rescued me. Could have bailed me out. And, uh, and he didn't in that spot. But you, you remember what you remember, and those were the early days. Yeah, Joe was a little grumpy, Joe Walton. And uh, yeah. that's, that's why he was not really admired by the players at that yeah. particular time. 
and you know he didn't. I think you recovered pretty well from that, though. I think in in retrospect, <laughs> you recovered pretty well from that. Yeah. You know the you know dubious moment. So did you always like grow up like? You played in the streets, you know, I read stories, you played street hockey, and you were announcing games as you were playing them in the street, you know, on Long Island. So this has yeah. kind of your, been your dream. Uh, there's no question about it. And, uh, you know, I know I got tagged with the hockey thing, and, and I tell people that's because, you know, when I got to ESPN, we had hockey, right? We had sometimes we had four games a week. Like, there were chairs open. There was inventory. And, you know, in the NFL has been one seat, right? One game, one play-by-play chair that you never think is going to open up. And for it to open up a few times the last few years, you know, you just was, was mind blowing to me. And now, so it's sort of my shot and my chance, but yes, I was that kid. And, you know, young people come to me and say, Hey, you know, I want to get in the broadcasting. Like, how old are you? Like play the game, play the game as long as you can. There'll be a time when somebody says, Hey, you're not good enough to play the game. And now you figure out, Hey, let me go a different Avenue and try to stay in the sport. So uh, but, yes, I was playing everything and, quite frankly, not good at anything. But I, I, was, I was playing every sport in every league, and, uh, and I was broadcasting as I was doing it. And the voices and the crowd noise and all my buddies got a kick out of it and uh, the good and the bad. So, yeah, I think all my buddies – and I, I still have, you know, I have two very close friends dating back to fourth grade who I always see whenever I get to a Jet game – try to get together, though it's a little trickier now, obviously. But they will tell you that, you know, I was born to be this. I was not born to be a player of any kind, but I was, <laughs> I was born to be a sports broadcaster, and it's, you know, it's worked out great for me. I mean, you think it's hard now in the Monday night booth. Try running up and down the street with a hockey <laughs> stick in your hand and you're out of breath and announcing. Now, that's hard. <laughs> that's, yes, that's a different and, kind and, of uh, skill there. And maybe a more unforgiving audience back then on the street with my buddies, right? As opposed yeah. to the current love fest that's on Twitter now, Rich, as you know. Oh, yes, totally. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But what's it like, you know, just take this to, to break into the NF, you know, it's an awesome job. It's one of the plum jobs in broadcasting. And you're doing it in a very unique season, you know, the pandemic. And, and so how is that? What's it been like? You know, sometimes you've got no fans, you know, a lot of the cases. And, and what's it like? you know, in your so quote-unquote rookie year in such a unique circumstance? So, listen, I, I'll give you the straight, honest truth there, Rich, but I don't want anyone to interpret this as any kind of excuse. I mean, I understand, you know, we're going to be judged on what you hear through your television uh, every Monday night, wherever you're watching from. So, but, there, you know, there are some challenges. Um, and and the, the craziest one to me, which people really can't wrap their heads around, is that Greasy Riddick and I can't go to the game together. Like, they need three different cars. We, we're going to stand, you know, six feet from each other for five hours, but we need separate cars to go to and from the game. Mm-hmm. And so that's really mind-blowing. Look, everybody's on Zoom now, so all our production meetings, all our team meetings, all those things are all on Zoom, but that's, you know, that's become no big deal anymore. That's, that's where we are as a society. Everybody's doing that. So – uh, the crowd noise is interesting and because – so there is, you know, as you know, there's a, a murmur sort of in the stadium, but that's different from what the people at home receive. And I'm getting in my headset uh, the, what, the, what the people at home are getting, that sort of enhanced crowd noise. Look, the NFL, a lot of bright people that have done a great job with that. They went back, I think, the last five years from every home stadium and, and have gotten the authentic sound from that specific stadium – 
you know, you'll hear the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets chant, even though there won't be anybody in the stadium. So that's really cool. And when I'm into it and when I'm in the moment, I get lost in the game and I hear the crowd roar at the right time in my headset and I don't think of it. It's really when, you know, the, we get the big open, the big tease, and dun, 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 and all the music comes up. And then you're, normally you'd have the blip shot, 80,000 people, fans, painted faces, signs, and crowd going wild. And that's, and that's really what we don't have. So uh, the toughest job is really Jimmy Platt, who's our director. And, uh, you know, he's got to try to cut around all that stuff and try to keep the, you know, the empty stadium shots, even though everybody knows to a minimum. Uh, you can see the shots are much tighter on television. And listen, the only upside, Rich, to the, the no crowd or the fake audio, too, is you're hearing a lot more from the field. Uh, I think you're hearing a lot more of the cadence from the quarterback. And we're even hearing some from the defenders which is kind of cool. And there's a little more of the trash talk you'll hear on TV, sometimes a, a dropout or a period where the, and that's just, that's our, our five second delay, which is now necessary because there is so much natural sound from the game, from the field that uh, we know there are young kids watching. Uh, we try to keep that, keep that out of their, out of their perfect young ears for now. So um, that's maybe the only upside, but there've been some challenges. My spotter can't stand next to me. You know, my statisticians in a different booth, Usually they're just handing you cards and stuff. That doesn't happen. Usually there's a stage manager give you a promo and grab you a Diet Coke or whatever it is, and there's no stage manager. I mean, it's really just us, Greasy Riddick and myself, in the booth in most stadiums. And so uh, that's taking something to get used to. But, again, it's, the only thing that counts is what's it's coming over the air uh, at 8.15 Monday nights Eastern on ESPN. So and that's what we want to be judged by. I often ask players, like a rookie player, like if I'll ask Makai Becton, you know, what's what's been your welcome to the NFL moment? So I'll ask you in a different way, what's been your welcome to Monday Night Football moment? Have you had a, a funny, like a little behind-the-scenes hiccup or, or something, you know, a little anecdotal that you can share with us? Yeah, and so it really was uh, – so I got my – I did my Monday Night Football debut last season. So ESPN, every Monday night, the first Monday of the season, we get two games. And so it was the doubleheader game, and it was the Broncos and the Raiders. It was really cool for me. I always wanted to get to the black hole, right, to see that whole thing in the last year of Oakland. So that was cool. And, um, and listen, you know, I, I think people say it, and it's like, oh, people at home can't understand it. It, it is the music. There's something about the music. You know, unless you were raised with it and are a, a broadcast, sports broadcasting junkie, maybe it doesn't mean as much to you, but it does to me. And we were coming back from a billboard, and uh, the music plays, and it's the big voice, and it's a highlight, you know, Bo Jackson doing something in a Raider uniform. And, and, um, and, and the producer, Tim Corrigan at the time, gets in my ear, and he goes, all right, go, Steve, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just shaking my head, nope. And he's like, go, Steve. Uh, and now he's starting to panic. Greasy looks at me like, what are you doing? Greasy elbows me. I'm like waving. I'm calming him down. Like, I got it. I got it. I just want to enjoy this moment. I just want to hear the music and then hear my voice come in. And so that was kind of the aha. Not that you've made it. I still haven't made it even, you know, a little more than halfway through this season. I don't think I'll ever feel that way, mm -hmm. um, you know until maybe it's 10 years in or something along those lines, if I should be so lucky and I don't have to wait till, you know, May for a press release to say who the Monday Night Football announcers will be this coming season. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of on edge, but that drives me. You know, that keeps me going. But that, 
that music and that night was really cool. And uh, doing the game last year really helped me do the game this year. I had an idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. And uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, it's a little stressful early on, right? You get this kind of gig and sure. a lot of eyes, a lot of feedback, a lot of those things. Uh, but we're starting to really, you know, settle in, I think, and enjoy it. And hopefully we get some, uh, some close games in the second half. That'd be nice, including the Pats and Jets. That'd be nice to have a close game there. Well, let's, let's talk about that briefly. So Jets-Pats, what's the first thing that pops into your head when you're thinking Jets-Pats? Total domination, not a rivalry, all New England, all Tom Brady. Okay. Well, I think that's, that's fair, and that's totally accurate. And it strikes me, you know, Jet fans have been waiting two decades for that moment when the Patriots are vulnerable, and now they're vulnerable, and look what happens to the Jets. So what kind of interesting – I still think it's an interesting matchup whenever the two teams get together because there's so much history with Belichick and – designing and all the spy gate there's so much history and of course you have an encyclopedic knowledge of that what kind of matchup do you think it'll be on Monday night so listen if if the Jets are going to get up in what is already a lost and forgotten season if the Jets are going to get up for one game one game the whole way you know this would seem to be the one right it is you know for the Jets it is their arch rival Uh, it is Belichick who has you know obviously owned the franchise um, it is at home, even though there's no crowd, and it is on a national stage on Monday Night Football. And I, you know, no coach, listen, I ask that question every week, and I get, you know, it's one of 16 games. And I don't believe that, but that's what they're selling to their particular teams. And maybe we'll get the same thing, you know, coming out of the Jets' mouths this week. But I really feel like if they're ever going to stand up, and, and, the, and the Jets are at the point now where even, you know, a field goal loss late, would give them a shred of respect, you know? And, um, and so, so, you know, I think the Jets will be com- you know, competitive early on, but, but Bill will have the hammer down. There's no question. Um, he, he would love, for all those reasons I just gave you, you know, Belichick would love to put up a 44 nothing kind of effort, uh, not just for his own teams, but to, to, keep the, to keep his foot around the neck of the Jets and, you know, just keep them down like as if, doesn't matter who the Patriots quarterback is. We're still the Patriots and you're still the Jets. Well, he did it last year in the, in the game in the Met Life when we had the ghost game. You know, uh, Sam Darnold unfortunately saying, I'm seeing ghosts. And yeah. Belichick is still sending cover zero blitzes in the fourth quarter. And Sam running up the score. So we know Bill is not going to shy away from, you know, keeping his foot on the, on the gas pedal. That's for sure. No, no sympathy from uh, – Bill Belichick, not, not in this one. And I, I do feel like Bill, you know, maybe gets a bit of a bad rap and, and there is a, a sympathetic bone or bones in his body, but he probably saves them for his, his former assistants. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm not sure there's anybody off the Belichick tree that's in the Jets system right now. No, we've, we've got, they've gone through that uh, with the Mangini's uh, yeah. you know, era and so forth. But uh, look, Steve, this has been a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, you, you guys are doing a great job. I think the three of you guys have really good chemistry. And even though you're just really been together for a few games, you could already feel that and hear that chemistry. So we wish you nothing but the best. And uh, let's hope it's a real good game on Monday night. Yeah, let's hope for that. I appreciate you having me on. And, and Rich, you've been, a, you've been a good guy to me, you know, since day one back in those early days. And I always appreciated that. And um, keep up the fine work. I'll be, I'll be uh, listening and watching and reading. 
All right. Thanks, Steve. Take care. And welcome to the third quarter. It's mailbag time. Check it into the Twitter questions. See what you guys are thinking about the Jets. And I'm going to do a group question here to start it off because so many of you are asking about Adam Gase and his job security. You know, when will he be fired? Well, I mean, the natural time would be right after Monday night's game against the Patriots because they're going into a bye week. But I don't think that would happen unless the Jets just get utterly embarrassed on Monday night football in front of a national audience. Uh, so I think there's a pretty decent chance they ride out the season with Gase. The die is cast. You know, we know what kind of season this is. It's been set for a few weeks. I think Gase has been a good soldier. I think he's on board with what they're doing, this fire sale. I don't get the sense that he and Douglas are at odds. So it's a it's a harmonious situation. It's a bad situation because they're losing, but it's harmonious. And I don't think ownership is going to pull the plug during the season, like I said, until unless something totally egregious happens. The fact that he changed play callers a couple of weeks ago, I think maybe bought him a little extra time. So we'll see. You never know, but my gut would be that he probably gets the rest of the year. Next one from at Lohmeyer underscore Nick. What are the chances Sean Payton for Sam Darnold and a draft pick trade happens? Well, it's interesting because I think Sean Payton would be the perfect guy to come in and save this franchise just because of what he's done and his reputation. Sort of a Bill Parcells type thing, but it's virtually impossible because he signed a five-year extension with New Orleans in September of 2019. So he's actually signed through 2025. He's making a, a reported $13 million a year. The Jets would essentially have to trade for that contract. Now, could they trade Darnold and a first-round pick for Sean Payton? I suppose they could, but I, I just don't see it happening because of the money, because of the contract, and also because the Jets would have—I mean, they gave Joe Douglas a six-year contract to run the show. If Sean Payton comes in, he's going to want to run his own show or hire someone that he wants to be alongside him. And it wouldn't be Joe Douglas. So I don't see the Jets doing something like that for all, all of the above reasons. Uh, at Matt Romano 19, what's the timetable on Bryce Hall's debut? Well, he was designated for return on October 21st. So that starts a 21-day window, which takes us up to uh, November 11th, which is during the bye week. So uh, long story short, I think there's a very good chance he will be active November 22nd against the Chargers when the Jets resume their season after the bye. At Luigi DeMeo, is somebody ever going to ask Gase, what the heck is going on with James Morgan? I actually asked him that a couple of weeks ago, Luigi, and he's their scout team quarterback, you know, and what they say about him, what Adam said about him is that he's got a really strong arm and he's very smart. And uh, that's it. I mean, we haven't. he's not ready to play. I mean, he played in an offense where he was in shotgun the entire time in college, a lower level of competition. He's not close to being ready to play. They still think he's a prospect. We'll see. I thought they could have spent that fourth-round pick uh, on something else. Uh, at JetDoc77, could a college coach like Harbaugh start before the end of the regular season? Well, th no, that wouldn't really happen because the seasons pretty much run concurrently. But I'm glad you mentioned Jim Harbaugh. 
you know, the Jets have been linked to him in the past. They actually interviewed him for the head coaching job in 2009, the year they hired Rex Ryan. I'm not sure too many people know that. Jim was at Stanford at the time. And the, the Johnson families had this fascination with Harbaugh because they were linked to him again in 2015 and then a couple of years ago, which they denied. But if if they're looking for a coach after the season, which I totally expect they will be, keep an eye on Harbaugh, whose time could be running out at Michigan. His contract only runs through the 21 season there. And if this season doesn't get any better for them, I could see Harbaugh leaving Michigan for an NFL job. And I think the Jets would be in play. At sell the Jets, question is, will the Jets' next defensive coordinator switch to a 4-3 base defense to maximize Quinn and Williams' potential? Well, I see what you're saying, you know, and he probably would be better in a 4-3. But, you know, 3-4-4-3, I really don't think there's much of a difference the way the NFL is nowadays. There's so many hybrid defenses. For instance, the Jets right now under Greg Williams are considered a 3-4 team. You know how many plays they've actually had in a 3-4 front? I looked it up on X-Gen Stats. Only 18 plays in a 3-4. They've actually had 40 plays in a 4-3 front. So what I'm saying is... You know, I think that's not the issue with Williams. I think he's being used correctly. They actually, their base defense is pretty much a 3-3-5. They use that 47% of the time. Williams is often used as the three technique, meaning he lines up on the outside shoulder of the guard, which is where he should be used. So I don't think usage is an issue with Quinn and Williams, regardless of scheme. At sports, fee, at sports underscore FI3ND, is Chris Herndon a trade asset? He has seriously regressed, and I wonder if Joe Douglas uh, believes he should be part of the Jets' future. Well, obviously, they didn't trade Chris on Tuesday. Uh, it, this is so perplexing. I think the organization is totally baffled by what's happened to Herndon this year. He just seems like when he gets the ball, which is not often, he fumbles or drops it. I know the coaches have talked to him. Players have talked to him, you know, trying to get to the root of it. They, they're wondering if something's going on in his personal life, but from all indications, nothing is. Uh, they, they just can't seem to get to the root of this issue. He just doesn't seem to be there locked in mentally. Um, there's talent there. I, I think you should probably give it another year or at least bring him into training camp to see how it goes. And uh, one from at Dan Bow 76. I like this question. How difficult is it this season to not being in the locker room to get a better sense of how the feeling is around the team, especially with the fire sale going on? Well, the fire sale is over now, but you raise a great point, Dan. Not being in the locker room because of the pandemic definitely changes the co- coverage of the team. I've talked about this in the past. I felt one of the better years to cover the Jets, and I, I know people don't think I'm crazy saying this, was the 96 Jets when they went 1-15. and It was just a really good bunch of guys and a lot of human interest stories in all that adversity, and you got to really feel for what they were going through by talking to the players every day in the locker room and getting to know them. And some of those guys on that team, many of them, I still keep in touch with on a regular basis. That's not happening this year because everything is done by Zoom. We don't get to be even close to the players during the week or on game day. And it, I think it affects the coverage of the team and the ability to get a really good handle, a feel for the pulse of the locker room. And you are absolutely correct, Dan. It, it is unfortunate. 
And uh, it's just the world we're living in right now, unfortunately. And that's the end of the third quarter. And we have Jets Patriots on Monday night, ESPN's Monday Night Football, and man, how times have changed. Both teams stink. Uncharacteristic for the Patriots. They're two and five, and they've lost four in a row. And the Jets, well, you know the story with the Jets. I counted it up. This is going to be my 68th time covering a Jets Patriot game in person. 68 of these. And there have been some really memorable ones. I mean, last year we had the ghost game. Uh, we had the butt fumble in 2012. We had the Spygate game in 2007. We had all those Mangini, Belichick post-game handshakes, which were always must-see TV. And, the, you know, the most memorable game, of course, was the 2010 playoff game where the Jets go up to Foxborough. Heavy underdogs, they play the perfect game, they win. Bart Scott with can't wait. And just uh, probably the best day in Jet history since Super Bowl III. Uh, this time, there's not going to be the, uh, the pomp and circumstance of a playoff game, that's for sure. Early in the week, I thought the Jets were going to win, but as we get closer, I think the Patriots will find a way to pull this out. But if you're a Jets fan, you know, forget about the wins and the losses. You probably already have. You know, it's just about draft position now. But a couple of things you want to look for, root for, things you want to see. You want to see Sam Darnold get his confidence back, especially against the Patriots. In two games against the Patriots, zero touchdown passes, four interceptions. It's easily his worst opponent so far in his young career. Bill Belichick resides in his head, and Sam has to fix that. If you're not going to get anywhere in this league, you you got to figure out a way to beat this guy. And so you want to see a good game from Sam Darnold. I want to see Denzel Mims. He's shown some promise in two games. I want to see him get the ball in the second half, for crying out loud. Let's feature him in the offense and see what he can do for a full game, like his potential. I, I want to see Ashton Davis rebound from last week's game. He had a brutal game in his first start against Kansas City, both as a tackler and in coverage. Still like his upside. Want to see a rebound there. I want to see... Crowder and Perryman together, especially Crowder back in the lineup. I think his absence the last couple of games really hurts them on third down. So the Mims, Crowder, Perryman trio for the first time, yeah, that'd be something to watch. Uh, I want to see Chris Herndon catch a pass and make a big play. He's in a total funk. I don't know if I've ever seen a player in as much a funk as he is right now. There's talent there, though. I want to see him do something positive and see if he can turn it around. I want to see Quinn and Williams see if he can dominate against Cam Newton and the Patriots offense. If Quinn's healthy, he's dealing with a hamstring, so there's a chance maybe he doesn't play. Love to see him get in there and show the Patriots what he can do. The Jets have never been 0-9 in their history. I have a feeling they're going to be 0-9 on late Monday night as they head toward perhaps history. There have been only two other 0-16 teams in, in history, and the Jets, I think, might be the third. So we'll see. Hopefully it'll be a competitive game. I want to thank our guest, 
Steve Levy, ESPN's play-by-play man, for stopping by and sharing some memories about his Jets fandom growing up on Long Island and also about his new gig with uh, ESPN. Also, uh, thank my producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting it all together. You can find Flight Deck on all the ESPN platforms along with Apple, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk next week on Flight Deck. <laughs>